When it comes to maximizing time in the uplands, without fail, Onyx Hunt is my most valuable tool. From planning my next hunt through a new bird cover to navigating in the field, Onyx Hunt is truly with me wherever I go. With detailed mapping and satellite imagery, along with a multitude of map layers from land access to forestry and habitat information and easy-to-use tools to mark, measure, and catalog important information, Onyx Hunt seamlessly integrates digital scouting with boots-on-the-ground time in the field. With offline mapping and Apple CarPlay integration, you are free to explore the wild landscapes our beloved upland birds inhabit. Planning your next move in the uplands begins with knowing where you stand, and for me, that starts and stops with Onyx Hunt. Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your Onyx Hunt subscription. When the miles rack up faster than your flush count, that's when you'll truly appreciate your hunting vest from Final Rise. Built for the uplands and proudly sewn in the USA, the complete lineup of hunting vests from Final Rise, from their all-new Summit XT down to the minimalist Sidekick system, are all built upon the foundational load-bearing waist belt and low-profile shoulder strap system, which allow you to carry all the gear you need and do so comfortably while maintaining your ability to move freely and perform when you need to most. With a complete lineup of accessories and newly released performance field apparel, Final Rise has the gear you need to help you get the most out of every mile and every flush. Final Rise gear is built for the uplands. Get yours today at FinalRise.com. This episode of the Birdshot Podcast is presented by Onyx Hunt and Final Rise. On this episode of the show, we've got a snippet from our Patreon bonus episode featuring Nick Adair of the Gundog It Yourself podcast and myself. Thanks for tuning in to bonus episode number one. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Birdshot Podcast. Thank you for tuning in to another episode. We've got a bit of a different episode this week, kind of a snippet promo or teaser for a Patreon-exclusive bonus episode, whatever you want to call it, featuring Nick Adair of the Gundog It Yourself Podcast, something we are working together on and bringing to our Patreon patrons monthly. And because I'm trying to stick to weekly podcast episodes published on Fridays, and there happened to be five Fridays in July, I needed an extra episode, so I thought it would be a good time to try sharing a little snippet of the Patreon exclusive episode, kind of a bonus episode here on the public feed of the Birdshot podcast. There's some substance here. There's almost a half hour of conversation between Nick Adair and myself chatting mainly about grouse hunting and grouse cover. Big surprise. But I thought this would be a cool way to a little piece of an interview that you could potentially have access to if you are a Patreon patron of either of our shows. But if not, that's okay too. Figured I would share a bit of the conversation with you here anyways as part of this bonus episode. So it's a little shorter than normal, a little bit of a different format, but nonetheless, I've got some more bird hunting conversation for you this week. I don't know that I will continue doing this or sharing these kinds of snippets, I may or I may not, but if you have any thoughts on it, feel free to share those with me. You can always email me at nick at birdshotpodcast.com. 
And of course, if you enjoy the conversation and are interested in hearing the whole thing along with more of it in the future, you could always head over to patreon.com forward slash birdshot, sign up for as little as five bucks a month. You would get a set of birdshot podcast can coolers and stickers as a small token of my appreciation. You would be eligible for all monthly Patreon giveaways, which right now involve a Final Rise vest, a Dogtrip Pathfinder 2 GPS tracking and training collar, and a pair of First Light Sawbuck brush pants, as well as you would also be eligible to any Patreon-exclusive discounts I have to offer, which right now includes Gumleaf USA and the Upland Institute. So that option is always available to you, patreon.com forward slash birdshot. Thank you for considering that. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe, follow, and share the Birdshot podcast. Something quick and easy you can do to help out the show. Always appreciated. And with that said, if all goes according to plan, we'll be back to our regularly scheduled programming next Friday. But until then, let's welcome into the conversation and on to a Birdshot podcast bonus episode, Nick Adair. That's the kind of stuff that I like to sit around and talk about, especially like when it comes to an individual bird contact, you know, yeah. like what, where was the bird? What did the dog do? And that's the kind of stuff that I think is, is fun to dive into. I, it's funny. You mentioned the camera angle that definitely, uh, it took me, uh, took me a little bit to get that figured out. I remember the first, the first hunt I wore the GoPro aside from like six years ago, I tried one of the old GoPro fours and that was like, I did actually get. I think it was Hartley's second season. I, I actually, oddly, I dug this video up. I had it saved somewhere on like one of my Google drives and I just watched it the other day, which I hadn't seen it in years, but it's like Hartley's second season and like maybe our first day of the season hunting. And I was wearing a GoPro, which I like wore it once and Hartley went on point and he, he went on point. You can't really see anything. This woodcock flushes out. I kill the woodcock. Hartley runs out, grabs the woodcock. He's sprinting back to me. And I think like at the time I was like, oh my God, I've got a natural retriever. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't believe it. And he he dropped the woodcock like halfway to me and I was all excited in the video. And he picks up birds, but he's, I, I wouldn't call him a natural retriever, but hey, but does funny. he I saw that video does, the other day. But. Does he hunt dead though? It sounds like yes. he does. Yeah, he does. Then that's all he you does. need. Yeah, he's correct. Well, and I could say like, I mean, that has been... It's, I feel like it's been very sufficient for what we do in the ground. Like I would never say my dog has never lost a bird. Cause like, I just, some of the stuff that I have seen with birds being recovered when you don't even know that you hit them, it's kind of like, you kind of have to make the assumption that, well, I probably have, I know I have killed birds and not recovered them. It's just part of the, part of the game at some point. But no, I feel like both of my dogs have developed into pretty reliable dead bird finders and that can be very helpful i mean hartley's had hartley's made a few really good tracks on birds that like i didn't think i would have i was going to get back and he's he's found them for me so he kind of impresses me in that regard now i wish he would carry him back to me but i haven't to be fair i have not put the time in as far as like force fetching or do anything like that and see that's uh it's interesting you live in a world of plenty with birds and right, you know, I don't. So I've spent the time <laughs> doing my dogs with the force fetch and everything, and I, and you know, I've come out the other end where like if that bird's down, 
and I, and I send the dog and this is not me being that I've never lost a, a bird before. I'm sure just like you, it, it's happened. I'm sure that, you know, yeah. you don't know what you don't know, but <clears throat> there's been plenty of times where I'm like, I'm pretty sure I clipped that or maybe I touched it. You know, maybe there's one feather I cut or something. And then it's just sit down and give your dogs enough time to, to really search that area. I think that's, yeah. that's the biggest issue, not the issue, but mistake I'd say that, that a lot of new people may do is they leave the area too soon. You know, it's like bird gets mm-hmm. up, you shoot it and it goes down. They send the dog once, twice, maybe three times and oh, I didn't hit it. And then they move on. Well, you know, maybe that bird just landed in some thick green stuff. You know, maybe you, you stoned it and it's got to give a minute for that dead scent cone to build up for that dog to win. Right. As you know, if yeah. there's a chance, if I think there's a chance that I cut a feather, I'm going to do everything I can to like grid search that area with my dogs. And I've come up with birds yep. to where like 10 minutes later they find, and it was like within 20 yards of us. It just, sometimes you have to let the scent build up. Yeah. Oh, this has got, this has got the wheels. Like this could just turn into like hunt story, <laughs> <laughs> hunt stories, which I, I think probably okay. Uh, no gotta, rules, man. Gotta, Go wherever. <laughs> yeah. We'll see if we get, we'll see if we get sidetracked here, but um, I will tell this one because it's, it plays into what you just talked about, about the duration. My buddy Garrett and I were hunting, uh, I don't know, a handful of years ago. And it was, I remember it was, it was late October, but we got, we were at my cabin in Wisconsin, got covered with snow. So it was like a big, it was a huge bummer. Like he's coming up for the last weekend in October and we're all fired up for prime time grouse hunting. And it snowed like that night. And so we woke up and, uh, there was like three or four inches of snow outside my cabin. Well, we drove to, we kind of drove around and eventually found some areas that did not get hit as hard. So, um, I don't even know if that's relevant to the story. So I'm just, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to jump ahead. We, we cut his dog, uh, Stella loose. Uh, she's a short hair and, mature seasoned dog and she's she goes out and we're not that far into the hunt she's on point we both walk in woodcock gets up which we were both kind of surprised to see because of the light snow and like it was getting later in the season but it was still open and he drops this woodcock i didn't see him the way it went he had to kind of lift his gun up and shot over in a direction that i was not looking and he's like i saw the bird come down hit it right wide open. And so we go over there and we start looking and Stella is a damn good retriever. I mean, that dog will retrieve birds. If there's a bird on the ground, we are expecting her to find it. And so much to our surprise, after a few minutes of looking, you know, you got a woodcock, you're like, this thing didn't hit the ground and run. You know, that's not your first thought at least. And we can't find this thing. And we had to have looked for 10 minutes in a pretty small area. Cause he's like, I saw it come down right here. And it just so happened that we knew the way this hunt was going to set up, up that in the tree. Go ahead. I was going to say up in the oh, tree. No, 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 that, no, that has happened before. Um, that's happened to I, me I like five can... times a, a woodcock yeah, lands in a yeah. tree. It hadn't happened on a grouse <laughs> yet, but, a but a woodcock yeah. has happened like five times. Yeah. If you can't find one, you should definitely look up. Cause that's, that does happen <laughs> often enough, but we knew that we were going to, we were going to come back to this spot or we could reasonably come back. So we made the decision to leave, go hunt for like an hour or two, and then we came back. And we, sure enough, that's what we did. We came back to the spot. We told Stella, got right back to that spot. It's a dead bird. This is, you know, an hour or two later. And it was maybe 15 seconds. And all of a sudden her muzzle 
boom, right into the grass and she pulls the woodcock out. It was there the whole time, but, <laughs> yeah. but, and so I, you know, I think we were thinking, you know, let the scent pool up, let it sit there. I don't know if that helped or if she just walked on the right spot when we came back, but, uh, well, yeah, and, and, and so, some <laughs> things I've been experimenting with this summer and spring based off of, uh, my, I think it was the Zoom episode I did with Kyle to follow up on that point tracking series that I did with him months ago. And the way he was talking in that Zoom meeting on planting birds and using scent and how scent cone development plays with mm. training dogs, whether you're, pl- you know, he, he even simulates roosted birds. And then, you know, I've been using it to where you plant the birds in the shade and you know that scent cone is just going to go to that nearest warm spot with the sun and, and all that. To where, like, if you shoot a bird and it just happens to land in some thick, tall, green stuff and it's also in the shade and, you know, there's no wind or anything like that, you know, maybe the humidity is really low, it can take a while for that scent cone to develop. And there's certain situations where that scent cone is automatic and people think that their dogs are just rock stars. And it's like, actually, I can smell mm-hmm. that bird myself, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, right. It, it goes both ways. But that's something to where... Uh, you know, I think that's a that's a mutual thing. You and I have already spoken on uh, on the outro we just did for the upcoming episode with with Maddie Rawlingson. Uh, the how scent really acts is a big yep. proponent that like I've touched a little bit on it in my show based on like the dog's nose, but there's so much more that we can learn about how the bird scent itself acts with or without the bird like without the even the interpretation of it, the dog's nose it's just like how does scent actually yep. behave that's that's a topic that i'd like to hit on at some point yeah your your episodes with kyle like that would have been those were how when was that was that like late or it would have been it was sometime last year i think um, it was november year, december somewhere in there okay yeah they they basically inspired you know, I listened to those and then that kind of inspired me to get Kyle back on the show and yeah. I wanted to talk about scent theory. And so we were talking about it, but yeah, he, I mean, the level of that he's gone into as far as just thinking about, you know, he talks about the scent pools and the scent cone and, and then how he uses, I found that to be very interesting how, cause I had heard he does, he does a lot of repetition with pigeons, but I'd never, you never hear the context of like what he was trying to do with that. And so all of those, all of the different scenarios and stuff that he was trying to set up with the pigeons. It just made a lot of sense to me. And I'd never heard him go into that before. So then that yeah. became a point of conversation well, for me too. But And, and he's, he's a ahead. perfect example, in my opinion, of time in the woods. There is no replacement, uh, honestly. Like his, right. I, I don't, I don't know about you. I, you know, I've never met Kyle personally. I've never hunted with Kyle, uh, but just from, you know, appearances and what he posts and, and, and what his knowledge is like, you can tell that dude spent a lot of time in the woods and, and woodsmanship yeah. and just experience and boots on the ground. There's nothing to be replaced. And one thing, listening to some of your episodes this month, you just did one. What, what was your county forester buddy's name? Yeah, Mike Amon, who has a Paint River Llewellyn dog, and he has hunted with Kyle. Exactly. And that's where I'm going with this, is when I was listening to that yeah. episode and he brought up Kyle, you know, my ears perked up because there's always something to learn yeah. from Kyle, right? And so my ears perk yeah. up, and then just listening to him describe how Kyle hunts with his dogs, mm-hmm. I, that that fascinated me. Like, if what he was describing, how close Kyle stays within the truck and, and in one spot and just thoroughly just drills down a little area 
that's completely opposite of how I usually hunt, right? So yep. me too, me too. <laughs> and same with Mike. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what, what do you, what did you think about that when he brought that up? Like, is that something to where like, man, maybe I am, we talk about moving too fast, but like, it sounds like that, like mm-hmm. we really have to slam on the brakes and almost be to the point, like, man, talking yourself into moving or not. Yeah. Well, I think, uh, you know, I think Kyle would kind of tell you that if, if your goal is to find every bird in that piece of cover or as many as you can, um, and you know, I, I had had that conversation about that topic with Mike many times really before I interviewed him on the show, but I was glad he brought it up there because where, what we got into on the episode was that, and Mike even said it, he's like, you know, I can't hunt that way. Or like, that's not the way that I would yeah. exactly set out my hunt. But what he did say was, man, what a cool perspective to gain from somebody that does it a lot, spends a lot of time doing it, has a lot of dogs this is how he does it. What can I learn? What can I learn from that? Right. And I think that's kind of both of our attitudes with all of this stuff. It's like, you don't have every answer. Um, you've got ex- varying levels of experience to varying degrees and, and with varying pursuits, but what can you learn from your next guest or your listener or, or whoever's, whoever's talking, you know, it's like, what, what can I gain from this person's perspective? And so I think, you know, Mike's point and one that I would agree with is no, we probably, probably push our eagerly push our dogs past you know a lot of birds because i mean think about it as as much ground as your dog covers they can't cover every inch of cover and like especially the way that the way that i think we probably both have a tendency to walk like i'm out there to kind of half of like a lot of my enjoyment comes from just like hiking through the woods and like looking at stuff and so like what i said on the episode was i'm kind of i'm setting up some of my hunts just want to hike around this swamp and that's what I want to do. And my dogs are going to find some birds along the way. Are we going to find every one? No, probably not. But are we going to, are we going to have a good time? Yes. So it's, it's kind of how you want to, how you want to go about it, I guess. I I got to thinking about it and it's kind of like, man, if I wanted to still hunt, I would go deer hunting, you know, (laughs) that's that's kind of where my head first went. But at the same time, it's like, you know, I guess, there, it doesn't really matter if I'm moving or not, as long as the dogs are constantly moving. Gearing up for your next hunt? Check out Ugly Dog Hunting Company for all your dog supply needs. Ugly Dog Hunting carries a full line of products for your bird dog and even some for you. Whether you're looking for dog collars, GPS tracking devices, kennels, beds, leads, training equipment, or first aid supplies, Ugly Dog Hunting carries it and a whole lot more. New owner of the company and friend of the Bird Shop podcast, Mike Nadusky, loves to remind me that while I do hunt with pretty dogs, every dog can be an ugly dog. Check out the entire selection of gear for you and your bird dog at UglyDogHunting.com. For many upland hunters, along with their passion for dogs, birds, and the places we chase them, comes a passion for shotguns. Upland Gun Company specializes in customizing shotguns for the upland bird hunter imported from Italy and shipped direct to an FFL near you. Select from one of their side-by-side or over-under shotgun platforms and customize the fit, function, and aesthetics to your liking. Design and build your next upland hunting shotgun with Upland Gun Company today. Visit UplandGunCompany.com. And an, and another thing, you know, <clears throat> again, we'll we'll move on from the Kyle thing because this isn't the Kyle show, right? But right. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it made me automatically revert back to a comment he made. I can't remember if it was on my episodes or your episodes or whatever about how um, he doesn't play the wind. 
in the woods. He doesn't care. He doesn't give it because yeah. it swirls all over. He's like, it, it, it literally changes second to yep. second and around every tree. So why would I waste any time thinking about wind going into the woods? And it's like, to your point, the dog's not going to smell every single bird, especially if that wind's not in the dog's favor. And if you're in the middle of the woods yep. and there's not a bunch, you know, a, a lot of wind movement or breeze coming through, then you really have to play those thermals in the sunlight and the shade and scent pool versus, and just him just really going slow and letting his dogs do all the work. It makes sense, right? You know, it's just like yep. successful hunt. But then to your point, it's like, yeah, but... I kind of want to cover some country. I've been sitting in front of a computer all week, you know? <laughs> yes. Yep. And, and Kyle's been out there every day. And, right. and that's, that's the thing, you know, Mike, Mike did point that out is that, you know, Kyle has dogs to run. He's got seven, eight dogs. He's got to get on birds. So it's not as advantageous for him to end up an hour from the truck. You know, yeah. if he can get all the work done and be near the truck where he can swap out dogs and do this and that. So again, different objectives for different hunters, you know, that's, that's just, it's neither, neither right nor wrong. It's just yeah. going about it a little bit differently. And, and Mike's like, yeah, you know, I don't want to see my, I don't want to see my truck for an hour. I want to, I want right. to get on the other side of the cedar swamp. And that's, that's kind of how yeah. we do it, but we're, we're running one or two dogs and Kyle has a string. Is, but yeah, <laughs> I, and I think, I think the scent thing too, I, you know, your dogs are kind of, they're always coming and going too. So it's like, there isn't necessarily a, it's less likely to have a prevailing wind in the mm -hmm. rough grouse cover than you would say if you were hunting the prairie or out in the field. So yeah. you kind of just don't pay attention to it and let the dogs scent the birds that they sent, basically. Well, another thing on that episode that I thought was really interesting that you touched on, and, and I know that this has been a topic that I've had with buddies, especially getting into it, something that learning the cover of, of the habitat and where the birds go start with the soil, the ground that you're standing on. And when you guys kind of, mm. every time you've touched on the clay versus uh, sandy soil, I kind of nerd out a little yep. bit because, A, I've forgotten everything you said since the last time I heard you talk about it. But, <laughs> B, it is it is very important to kind of kind of understand the difference because it is kind of two different forest makeups just based off the type of soil. Yes, it's, uh, and I think I said on that, episode like i'm pretty sure mike kind of turned me on to that i just was something i never paid attention to before because i hunted a uh i primarily hunted clay soil so i didn't see i wasn't comparing and contrasting once you once you see it i mean there is some gray area it's not necessarily totally black and white but it's pretty black and white once you see sandy soil cover and develop an eye for it which i think you know probably takes a little bit of time but not a ton and then you see heavy or clay soil cover. And the, the, like the constant is like, you've got Aspen. I've got a, I've got an Aspen cut here. I've got an Aspen cut there, but everything that makes up that cover, the complementary vegetation or the shrub layer and all that kind of stuff, there's nuances and differences between heavy soil, clay soil and sandy soil. And there are birds in both. That's uh, like kind of the moral of, of the conversation that I had with Mike. But being able to identify the two, I think, is a, I think it's a useful skill. And you're able to, you can see what's going on on the forest floor and understand why 
why my legs are getting shredded up with blackberry canes because I'm on the sand. I'm not on the clay. The clay is the clay is is it's just going to have different vegetation and different shrubs. See, and that what that's that's what I was about to ask you. Is is again, I don't get to spend as much time up your way as I, I'd like to. Yeah. So kind of simplify this, bring it down to my my level, like just basic understanding. The way I've always looked at it, whether it's aspen or anything else, is I'm not so much looking for the top canopy. I'm looking for that secondary canopy underneath. Like mm-hmm. that tells me more about what I want to be in than how old the upper canopy is if 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 that makes sense is is one the clay versus sandy more prone to have that second story that i'm probably picturing and you're probably picturing in your head as opposed to just being like bare and i and i believe you know i'm always like hesitant because like i'm i'm not a forest or whatever so i just think i'm gonna get this stuff wrong but i pretty sure certain that mike explained it on the show as well clay soil has much more of a tendency to have that secondary shrub layer of hazel brush, more diversity. Um, and, and I think what's going on is the clay soil is going to hold more water. And so you're going to get, you're just going to get more vegetation and stuff. Whereas the sand is, it drains, yeah. it drains a lot more. So the sandy sand country will dry out a lot quicker than the clay country. And Think about it. You know, if you think of a, a wet, damp area, what happens there? Stuff grows. You got different stuff going on. It has more moisture to sustain more Those vegetation, ferns more and life, bogs and more, everything. more diversity. Yeah, and so a lot of sand country aspen cuts have perfect, you know, wrist size aspen poles, exactly what you're looking for. But you will look at it, and if you don't necessarily know that you're on sand or know the difference between the two, you might be like, something doesn't look right. And this is kind of what I was getting into the, like, I, this just does not feel grousey to me or birdie to me. And it's probably because it's lacking diversity. You've got perfect Aspen, perfect age class, perfect stem density, but there's not much going on on the ground. You don't have hazel brush or, you know, dogwood or, or something else in there. And that's, that's one of the differences that you can see. And it's, it's not this universal thing. Like, you know, there are sand country cuts that have amazing hazel brush understory. So it's not that you won't find one on one soil type, but one does have a tendency to dry out and be more of a, uh, like a barren Aspen stand. And in those cases, I, I have learned to hunt those places, but I kind of do this all the time, but very much in those places, I am trying to find the edge of that clear cut. I mean, get me on the edge of the aspen and the yeah. mature oak stand, because a lot of times you'll find hazel brush in between, and that's where that's where you're going to find me hunting. Which, again, I'm kind of always there, anyways. But. Yeah, and I know that you know it, we we actually did a lot more episodes than this one, but I told you when I listened to this one for whatever reason, like this one just really hit home for me. Another thing he said that I'm wondering, and it kind of goes into, do you ever work into those aspen cuts or do you only stay on the outer edge? Like he talked about in the timber harvesting practices, leaving that drumming log in in essentially the middle of it. Do you find it worth your effort to go into those aspen cuts and look for the stuff that they laid, you know, left dirty on the ground for the birds, or is it just, I'm hitting the edges and moving on to the next one? Um, it's, it's, I'm not on like a roller coaster rails, so to speak. I mean, I'm always trying to be on the edge, but 
there are times where I find myself in the Aspen. And I mean, the ideal scenario is my dog pulls me in there. And that's one of the reasons why I like being on the edge because the dogs are looking for objectives and they're looking for birds. And so they're going to run into the middle of the Aspen cut. They're going to be on the outside of the Aspen cut. You get into like, how big is the Aspen cut? You know, if I, if I, work the edge of this, am I missing a hundred acres in the middle? That might be a cut that I might dive into because you're going to have, what you're also going to have are these micro edges, micro seams in the habitat. Mike talked about patchy openings. It, It doesn't take much more than a 15, 20 feet across opening in the canopy to create a little micro edge inside a cover and grouse are, they key in on that stuff. They, they will find those edges or they will be pushed to them as you're coming through the cover. So I don't, I don't usually ever say like, well, I got to go down the middle of this cut because I haven't touched it. You know, I probably will hike around it, hike around the edge. And depending on how I'm feeling, if I got into a bunch of birds, you know, do I make a cast into the middle? Maybe. Do I feel like my dogs were in there? It's kind of a game time decision, I guess. Yeah. It it was really interesting when y'all were talking about those, those islands that are left out there to where it's like, it's like you have this big cut, but you leave this one section in the middle to where it's kind of like mature out in the middle and just cut all the way around it. Do you remember when when I went up to Minnesota and you, you shot me a pin and you're like, Hey, I haven't had a chance to go really hunt this, but I'm curious. So if you get a chance, like go hunt this and let me know. And was that that big south facing slope? Yes. And I told you afterwards, it was real rocky, real, you know, everything. It's like, even though it was older, I've still never been there. It it was an older cut, but it was, it it was, it acted like a younger cut because it was real thin and short because the soil was so rocky. I guess the roots couldn't take hold. And so like, I didn't make sense. I didn't get into much. Uh, like on the outside, but I randomly, Lucy pulled me into the middle, you know, she went on point and I'm like, what is that? And I go out there and I found one of those little islands. And so when y'all were talking about that on the episode, I immediately traveled back to Minnesota on this one hunt and, yeah. and I got into four or five grouse in that one island. <clears throat> and so like, if you're following the old true statement, you know, tried and true to where like, if you're not in the thick stuff, you're not going to find the birds. Or if you throw your hat in the air and it doesn't hit trees and it comes back down, you're in the wrong spot. It wasn't until I was in that one spot that I got into birds. And, and it was really interesting because it's like, I'm in this, what people would consider prime just all around it and nothing, not coming across anything. The site you can get into those little islands, boom, flush, 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 flush. I, th- I think that's where the the Aspen conversation does get carried away in that you get too too much tunnel vision on stem density and Aspen. Yes, you want it to be nearby. Yes, the birds use it and need it. But is that always where the birds are going to be? No. I And I would say to your point, if I'm hunting the edge of a cover, if I know there's an opening or something, yeah. I, w- I will absolutely go to that. Any kind of an opening, like we said, micro habitat edge, um, anything anything like that is is a place that you want to check out. The other thing Mike talked about too was they'll leave some big oak trees in the middle of a of an aspen cut. So you've got picture a ten year old aspen cut, perfect aspen stem density, and you've got ten big mature oak trees spread out intermittently throughout that cover. 
those are the kinds of things I will walk under those and try to have my dogs go near those because they'll be dropping acorns and grouse will get pulled into that stuff. And usually underneath those oak trees, there's a little bit of an opening. The stem density of the aspen is, is not there. And every one of those things could be a potential objective for you or your dog. So I'm always kind of like, I guess more recently I've, I've, I say this thing in my, my head, think outside the Aspen. Yeah. And that kind of, that kind of goes, it goes into the edge conversation, but also if I'm walking the edge of an Aspen cut, like I'm usually got easier walking too. Yeah. Um, I'm outside of it. And all the birds that I'm finding are not in the Aspen. A lot of them are just outside of it or in the open stuff. It's funny you say that. So, I mean, I've, I've met up with some listeners here and there hunting. It's kind of like every trip, you know, I usually can kind of meet up with one person here or there, you know, unfortunately there's not enough time in the day to meet up with half the people that you want to. Right. But, you know, I've, I've had a couple people come out, whether it was in Minnesota or Wisconsin and, and they're like, do you not want to hunt the Aspen? Because I kind of just, I don't ignore it, but I, I just kind of use it as an edge. Like if I'm looking at the map, kind of what you're just saying, it's like all oh, this is Aspen, but yep. like what's outside the Aspen? And mm-hmm. they're they're like, man, like I kill birds in that stuff. I'm like, I'm sure you do. Like I know there are birds in there, but, but the thing with yes. me is the enjoyability of the hunt, number one. And then number two, it's like, having a bird in an area doesn't help me if I can't get a shot off at it. And and so whether it's the Aspen or the overgrown conifer section to where it's just like, yeah, the birds are in there, you know, they're staying dry, they're staying warm, whatever. But like all all you're, yeah, all you're doing is hearing them flush out the back (laughs) end. It's like, I think about one section with uh, last year I ended up in, in Wisconsin Rachel's collar's going off, beep, and I, I'm i with a buddy out there. First time he's he's out there getting his first dog or whatever, and, and he's just learning with me, and he's like, are there actually birds in there? I'm like, yeah, man, get down. And he got down, and you could see underneath the conifer trees. You could see past the dog, and you could see the birds that she was pointing. Yeah. And he was like, what do you do? I'm like, there's nothing you can do. The second I hit the, like, Not it, a whole there's lot. nothing. And it was one of those conifer patches yeah. that, like, you can't walk around, like, it, it's just, I'm like, you know, it, yeah. it, you just low crawl. But, uh, you know, to me, it doesn't do a whole lot of good to find a bunch of birds if you can't feasibly act on them. And so to me, I like, I'll yeah. forego that Aspen lot that I know has birds in it to go over here and I might get four flushes less an hour, but I have a play at those flushes. I'd much rather do that yeah. than just be able to say that I got 40 flushes today, but I got one shot off at them. Yeah, more and more, I think I think that's kind of the the way I find myself setting up my hunts and and picking my routes through the cover. And I like the way Mike described it again in that episode. He said that he is anchoring his hunt on the aspen stand. Right? There's always a nine times out of ten or more so. There's a there's an age appropriate aspen stand nearby where you've got the stem density, you've got the cover. He's anchoring his hunt there, but that doesn't mean he's just walking back and forth through those aspen trees you know thanks for tuning in everybody that does it for this episode of the birdshot podcast presented by onyx hunt and final rise don't forget to rate review subscribe like and share and we'll catch you on the next episode of the birdshot podcast
Onyx Hunt is the number one hunting GPS app. Join millions of other hunters who trust Onyx Hunt to find more game, discover new access, and hunt smarter. Onyx Hunt shows you nationwide public and private land boundaries. They've got topographic and 3D maps. You can track your route, location, and elevation profile. You can save maps for offline use and take Onyx Hunt with you wherever you go. The most comprehensive hunting tool you'll own Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your next Onyx Hunt subscription. Know where you stand with Onyx. Hey everyone, this is Nick from the Gundog It Yourself podcast. If you enjoyed this show, then you might want to check out my show as well. We highlight and break down the ins and outs of training your own hunting dog. Whether it's a bird dog or even the occasional hound dog episode, we cover all topics related to hunting dogs. Check out Gundog It Yourself on any podcast streaming platform and hit the subscribe button to be sure not to miss any future episodes.